Today's scripture is from Ephesians 5:15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. How many of you are familiar with the man Blaise Pascal? Uh, yeah, oh, it's, whoa, like super Blaise Pascal fan right there, Grace. Amazing. Were there more than one, was there more than one person that just, whoa. Well, I don't, I don't mean like that you've heard of him. I mean that you like give him a resounding like, we're cheering for it. I love it. That's amazing. Let's, where, when are we starting the Pascal Book Club? Let's do it. Well, uh, if you don't know his story, he was a, uh, he was a scientist, philosopher, mathematician um, in uh, the 1600s, and uh, I, I, if, I'm, if I have my facts straight, by the time he was 16, he had made like invaluable contributions to the realm of mathematics, which is insane, insane. When I was 16, um, <laughs> I don't even know what I was doing. I was sleeping till 2 p.m. and whatever. Um, there you go, Blaise Pascal. So he's this brilliant mind, incredible thinker. Um, and there was a day, November 23rd, 1654, the day that he recorded, he did not want to forget this day when he had a dramatic, dramatic encounter with what he termed the fire of God. The, the encounter was so dramatic that he, he, he just committed, I never want to forget this, I never want to lose this. So he wrote this, this thing down, this description of what had happened, and he sewed it into his jacket, the jacket that he wore for the rest of his life over his heart. And that's, this thing that was in his jacket was, wasn't discovered until after he died. You wanna know what it said? What it said? He said, the year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23 November, Feast of St. Clement, Pope and Martyr, and others in the Martyrology, Vigil of St. Chrysogenes, Martyr, and others. From about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight, fire, all caps, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers, and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, 
and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left him, I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. I get chills every time I read that. And Pascal had dabbled in the Christian faith before, so it's not entirely clear whether this was his conversion experience. It probably was. Or if this was like a later fill experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, but he was left a changed man. How do you know that this was real? How do you know this wasn't just, you know, some crazy thing? The crazy things happen to people. People see weird things. People hear weird, weird things. People do weird things. How do you know that this wasn't just another weird thing that happens in the human brain? Because the rest of his life was devoted to following this Jesus, this God the God of Abraham that he encountered, November 23rd, 1654. He was a changed man. He followed Jesus the rest of his days. Holy Spirit of God wants all of you. He wants all of you. And the Holy Spirit of God will fill his people. He will take all of his people if we will let him. But what does it look like? What does it look like? I believe it can look like this, these words, the experience of Pascal. I think it can look a lot more subtle, and I think it can look everything in between. And answering that question from the scriptures, which is really our only authoritative place we can go to get the answer to that question, is what we're after today. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with or full of the Holy Spirit of God? Let's see, if, let's see if the Lord will help us find out. Pray with me. Well, God, again, we, we just acknowledge you. Lord, uh, as we talked about last week, we, we just stand in this incredible, incredible privilege, Lord. There's, there's no greater privilege than this, um, that, that you sent your son to die in our place, to, to forgive us of our sins, to save us, to bring us into your family eternally, but also to make your home within us, to baptize us in your spirit, to put your spirit upon us, never to leave. God, that is incredible. And, and acknowledging that, Father, this morning, we, we say thank you for all of us who are in Christ. We say thank you for that thing that has already happened. And we say now as we turn our attention to what, what does it mean to be filled with that same spirit, with your spirit, with you. We pray that you would help us understand. Um, and, and, and Lord, not just understand, but to experience it, but to experience it and to walk in it day after day after day after day after day, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you wanna understand the filling of the Spirit, I would argue there's no better place you can go than the passage that Joe just read for us in Ephesians 5. Um, Ephesians 5.18 has a command. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled, be filled with the Spirit. And if you've read through Ephesians, some of you, some of you are going to the uh, Ephesians Bible study, so you're, you're, some of this is probably fresh. We're doing that on Thursday morning. You should go. If you're free on Thursday mornings, go and study the book of Ephesians with, with a group of folks. Um, but the book of Ephesians is structured like this. The first three chapters, you've probably heard this before, uh, doctrinal, they're, they're talking about the lofty things of the gospel, just how incredible it is what Jesus has accomplished for us and the way that he has brought all these distinct people groups together to make this one new humanity. It's this beautiful vision. That's chapters one through three. And then chapter four through six, he turns his attention. He says, okay, in light of all this glorious truth, how do we live? And he gets into the practical. He gets into the weeds. He gets into the day-to-day stuff. Here's what you do. And he says all these things. He, he's, he's in chapter four, verse one. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy. All this stuff I'm talking about, this, this calling to which you've been called, walk in a manner worthy of it. Or in 4.15, I want you to grow up in every way into him who is in the head, into, who is the head into Christ. Or in 4.23 and 24, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self. Or in 5.1, to be imitators of God. Or in 5.2, to walk in love. Or in 5.8, to walk as children of light. All of this stuff that he's saying, actually walking it out, living out the life that God has called you to, can only happen through this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of this requires the Spirit's work in us. All of this is only pushed forward by his filling. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the key to living the Christian life with any kind of power, any kind of victory. So it's a command, right there. It's a command. What what that means is this is something that you, if you're a believer in Christ, this is something you can obey or reject. The command is to be filled and you can choose to not be filled. You can say, no, I'm good, I'm fine. I don't need that, I don't want that. Or you can open yourself up to it. The present tense verb here in Greek tells us it's something that we are called to continually pursue, to continually obey. The the implication here is that yes, we're commanded to be filled and we're commanded to be filled every single moment of every single day without ceasing. I want to point out a few things so we don't, we don't just misunderstand exactly what is, what's commanded here before we move on. Um, we're going to talk about, A, the command, then we're going to talk about the results. Paul gets into in the next, the next verses there. What, what does it actually look like to be filled? And then we're going to talk pragmatically. Okay, so that's all nice, but how do I actually pursue this in my own life? So if you can go back to the previous slide. Um, here we go. The command is to be filled. And, and first, we just note that, that filling language, filled, filled. The image of filling is an image of completion, image of completion. We all have a capacity for the Holy Spirit's influence that can be filled or can be fulfilled. Believers, all of whom have been baptized in the Spirit, now have the task of giving more and more and more and more and more of ourselves over to him, to be filled by him. But we also have to note that the verb is passive. It's a passive verb. No, it doesn't say, fill yourself. See that? It also doesn't say, let the, the pastor fill you, or whatever. Or fill someone else. Fill your children with the Holy Spirit. It's a passive verb. 
we cannot, the, the idea here is that you cannot force it. You cannot force it. The, the idea is that you can, all we can do is open ourselves up to it, is try to remove as many of the barriers as possible to receive what the Spirit has for us. I sometimes use the illustration, I think I've used it before in the last couple of weeks, of gathering kindling. You know, if you don't have, it's as if we, we, don't, we don't have lighters, we don't have matches, whatever. All we have is the kindling. We have brush and sticks and little things that might set on fire. And all we're doing is we're gathering them together and we're just praying and begging God, God, you have to set this thing on fire. I can't do it. But we can dis- dump water on, on the kindling. We can disperse it. We can ignore it. We can do all these kinds of things. Or you could think of the image of a sailboat. I know nothing about sailboats, so probably even in a basic description, I'll get something wrong here. But I think this is right. You raise a sail? <laughs> I think that's right. Can anyone confirm that you do, in fact, raise a sail of a sailboat? Okay. Um, that's the image, too. If you're sailing, you cannot, as far as I know, you cannot control the wind. You cannot control the wind. You can't make the wind come. You can't make it blow this way or that way. You can't control the intensity of it but you can raise the sail. And if you refuse to raise the sail, you're not going anywhere. At least not very quickly. So this passive idea, it's, it's not that there's nothing we can do, but it's, it's we do the preparatory things and then we just sit and we wait for him to move and him to act. Okay, so that's the passive sense of this. And then finally, it's plural. And this is sometimes hard to, hard to get in our English translations because we stubbornly refuse to embrace the wisdom of the South with the word y'all, okay? Greek has y'all. New Testament Greek has y'all. You all, the plural, second, second person plural. And usually those get translated as just all that we have in English, just our general second person. You know, you, when you say you, I could mean you, the group, or I could mean you, Vivian. Um, we don't distinguish that very clearly in English. In Greek, they do. This is plural second person. You all, as a community, be filled with the Spirit. And what that means is that this is something that applies to the gathered people together and to each individual that makes up that gathering. So there's a sense in which we're called to be filled as individuals, but together, as the people of God gathered together, we are to be filled as well. And those two things are related. So don't let this be merely an individualistic thing. That's not what Paul has in mind. Okay. Remember last week, we celebrated the fact that Jesus has baptized all of his people with his spirit and that his spirit has permanently made his home within us. Praise God for that. The baptism of the spirit, we argued, is a once-for-all-time gift that you received when you trusted Jesus. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, trust him today and receive the Holy Spirit. But it's a once initiating thing that happens when you come to Jesus. But the filling of the Spirit now, we see here in this continuous command, is, is the, speaks to the fact that the Spirit of God can have more or less actual influence in your life. If you're a believer, he's in you. He's not going anywhere. Praise God for that but how much influence he actually has over the day-to-day of your life. Now, that is a separate question. The filling speaks to the fact that he can have more or less. He can have more or less of us to work with. We can experience more or less of his presence and power. Idea here, too, is that people can be very full of the Spirit one day and not full of the Spirit the next day. 
or one hour and the next hour. The command is to keep pursuing it the rest of your life. That's the command. Now, you have to ask the question, what, what does it look like? Or, or how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? How do you know? What does Paul say? We read on, verses 19 through 21. He says, this, this, whole, this whole section is dependent on that. This is, these are all, uh, all these clauses are filling in that information. Be filled with the Spirit. And then he's, he's giving in what that looks like. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. One thing on a note. First, we talk about what does it look like. We go, we, even in the previous verse, we see he sets up a comparison between the filling of the Spirit and drunkenness. You see that? He says, you're, you're not to pursue drunkenness, but the Spirit. And there are all, Paul's acknowledging there are all kinds of things we can invite into our lives that, that deeply influence us. We can be filled with all kinds of things. And we are filled with all kinds of things. Um, you, can, I, you could probably say you're filled with Netflix, filled with food, emotional realities, filled with hatred or joy or jealousy or gratitude, filled with the news, news cycle, filled with bourbon, filled with TikTok, and on and on and on. Paul gives the example of wine. He uses one example here because it's an incredibly obvious and easy example. Um, it's very obvious when someone is drunk. 99% of the time, when someone is drunk, it is very obvious. Their, their self-control is gone. Uh, they're not acting like themselves. Everything's a bit wonky. You see it. You see it. Um, we have to note, Neither Paul nor the Bible in general condemns drinking alcohol in general. But hear this. Don't, let that, don't miss this point. It always condemns drunkenness and addiction. Um, and the word Paul uses here, debauchery, we don't use that. that. I feel like that's a very antiquated term of translation there. Debauchery. It's getting at the idea, that Greek word there is getting at the idea of wastefulness. Wasted potential. Actually, we have an English word for that, don't we? Wasted. Well, let's write the ESV and tell them. <laughs> for, for that is totally wasted. But be filled with the Spirit. Well, that's the idea. Wasted. Your, your potentials and your capacities to love and to serve and to support those around you are totally hampered. At worst, drunkenness makes us dangerous to those around us, given over to our worst impulses. Drunkenness makes us unhealthily dependent on those around us. As, as believers, you know, there's a healthy kind of depending on other people, of course, but you know what I'm talking about. And even if we don't get into extreme examples, you know, everyone's probably had that experience or maybe has been this person <laughs> where you've been drunk or someone's drunk. Let's just talk, you're, you're the good person in this, in this example. Um, <laughs> Your friend, always, your friend is drunk, sloppy, falling down, they can't pick themselves up. Y you have to mother them. 
You have to father them. And that's kind of, we can laugh at it, it's kind of silly, but you, you, you put that in the context with the kinds of things Jesus calls us to. And you are totally just illegitimately absorbing everyone else's energy when you ought to be serving and loving and caring. You see that? This isn't just Jesus or God or the Spirit trying to be a buzzkill here. There's something about this level of intoxication that actually just cuts totally against the grain of, of the new creations we're meant to be in Christ. Makes us dangerous, makes us unhealthily dependent on those around us. The ancient preacher John Chrysostom, he put it, he put it uh, uh, very succinctly. He said, immoderate indulgence makes one rash, passionate, prone to stumbling, anger, and severity. Wine was given to gladden us, not for intoxication. Just to put a fine point on this, I'm just, and we're going to move on. This isn't a sermon about this, but Paul talks about it, so we should. Um, if you are in the habit of getting regularly intoxicated with whatever substance, getting drunk, getting high, this is a barrier to health in your discipleship to Jesus. And this is actually a hindrance on your family and on your relationships. And some of you know that very personally, and, and you've learned that the hard way. Some of you have not yet. Um, I would just say, if, if that's you, repent and lay these things down at the feet of Jesus. And if, if you're listening to this and you're like, that sounds nice. I want that. I would like to repent. I would like to lay this down, but I don't know how, or I feel stuck. Just here, know that there is grace, and there are a whole lot of people in this room, myself included, who, who would love to gently help you get the help that you need. Um, like, grace upon grace, friends. Grace upon grace. In a city like Portland, uh, there are a lot of people, uh, probably more than even want to self-acknowledge, um, that are really struggling in this area. Um, and the church is a place of healing, not of condemnation. So I just want to say that explicitly. Uh, but don't try to do it alone. Okay. Don't get drunk. Don't get wasted, okay? There it is. But be filled with the Spirit. The idea here is that the, the filling of the Spirit is similar to drunkenness really in one way. You're coming under the influence of something else. Um, but I believe that's where the similarities end. Drunkenness is the loss of self-control. Who you are in your heart of hearts, I think, is you're, you're unable to access that. And you're given over to your more animalistic impulses. The Spirit is just the opposite. The Spirit, the, a, 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 you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Self-control. Self-control. The right kind of self-actualization is a fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit of God in you does not want to overwrite your personality. He doesn't want to make whoever you are distinctly and your passions and your gifts and your, your personality and all these, he's not trying to make you into a robot. It's the kind of self-control submitted to uh, the Spirit of God within you that makes you the fullest and best and most beautiful and most truthful version of yourself. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. It's like Adam and Eve pre-fall, legitimately. It's the most alive and distinct version of yourself is what the Spirit is after. So not drunk, but filled with the Spirit. Not drunk, but filled with the Spirit. And then he's going to give four, here we go, four results, four normal things that Paul is saying one can expect, four expectations for the person who is actually filled with the Spirit. And I'll just say out, out, the, 
out the gate. I don't think these are exhaustive. In fact, I know they're not because there are other things in the scriptures that are, are referenced as things that happen when people get filled with the Spirit, and we'll talk about those too. But I think this is Paul trying to give a representative, like capture the heart, the basics of what it means to be Spirit-filled, okay? This is his time where he lays it out didactically. I want to tell you what to expect when you're filled with the Spirit of God. So we should listen. So let's do that. Number one, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, no, that, is, that, that is, has to do with your relationship to the person sitting next to you. You see that? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs probably refer, the psalms probably refers to Old Testament book of psalms. And then the hymns and, and spiritual songs, I was like, what, what is that? What are, what are we doing here? And most of the commentators I read agreed that those are probably not precisely um, differentiated terms. They're merely saying the psalms that have always been kind of the praise book of, of, the, of Israel and the church since they were written. And then other new songs that are written, spiritual songs written by Christians meant to lead people to understand the truth and, and meant to be tools of prayer and praise. Um, new songs that come along. He's saying, use them both. This addressing one another with them. I think what he's getting at here is that this is speech to one another overflowing with the truths and the praise of God that we're regularly reminded of when we sing together. We could sum summarize this by saying this is spirit-filled encouragement is the first fruit of this, is the first uh, evidence of being filled with the Spirit. We are addressing one another with these glorious truths, encouraging one another with them. Okay, let's keep going. He says, singing. Okay, so we're addressing one another with the songs. He says, now, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So now, see our attentions turn to the Lord, to the Lord. First one's to one another, now it's to the Lord. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is spirit-filled worship, praise. We sing, yes. God, God's people have always been a singing people. But more importantly, our hearts are truly attuned to the praise of God. That means if you're a bad singer, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Legitimately, it's saying, well, well, yes, singing, but what's the, the, the stuff that matters is going on right in here. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is heart and soul worship, praise to our God. Number three. Giving thanks, verse 20, always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled gratitude. A heart overflowing with gratitude and joy reminded of what we have in God and in Christ. Thanksgiving, gratitude, joy, overflowing even in the worst of circumstances, always and for everything, we're still able to give thanks to God the Father in the name of Christ. And then a fourth one in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is spirit-filled humility and sacrifice. This is self-giving, again, to one another. Again, this is a neighbor-oriented thing. To one another, 
self-giving, self-sacrificing, self-denying love for one another, submitting to the needs and the goods of those around you. And no one gets out of this. The pastor doesn't get out of it. Elders don't get out of it. No one is above this. This this typifies the whole spirit-filled community. We submit to one another. And we do it out of reverence for Christ. Okay, pause there. What does it look like? How do you know when you're spirit-filled? Is that what you expected Paul to say? I would wager most of us, when we hear the filling of the Holy Spirit, we start thinking like, shouldn't something crazy be happening? Shouldn't I like be shooting lightning out of my fingers or, you know, something? He says spirit-filled encouragement, spirit-filled worship, spirit-filled gratitude, spirit-filled humility, and sacrifice. You know what that sounds like to me? Tell me if you agree. Sounds to me like you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment, Jesus said, summarizes all of the law and the prophets, to love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. The Spirit-filled life enables you to do that. The Spirit-filled life enables you to do that. It makes it a reality in your life. Listen to these words from scholar Gordon Fee. He's sort of a, a really important scholar on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He says, here then is the ultimate imperative in the Pauline corpus. Only a scholar would write that sentence. He's saying this is the ultimate command in all of Paul's writings. I think he's right. He goes on. God's people so filled by and with the Spirit's own presence that they come to know God in all his fullness and reflect such in the way they live in relationship to one another and to God himself. Friends, that is what life is all about. And that's what the Spirit has come to empower us to do. We often think that being Spirit-filled must necessarily look like dramatic signs and wonders. So much so that we overlook these things that are the true heartbeat of the Spirit-filled life. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Remember this? On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It is possible to have amazing signs and wonders and to have no contact with the Spirit of God. You see that? This might explain some of our problems in the church at large. When we're thinking about the kinds of leaders we look for in Christianity, we often let the genuine evidence of a Spirit-filled life, how do you love your God and love your neighbor? fall far down the list of things we're looking for. And perhaps the fact that we're seeing so many stories of fallout from domineering or coercive or abusive leadership in churches being brought to light is a new cleansing work of the Spirit. I suspect that it is. Because we're looking for the Spirit's influence in the dramatic and in the amazing and the incredible and saying, we're going to talk about all that in just a second. He's saying, you know what the heartbeat of the Spirit-filled life is? Loving God and loving neighbor. 
won't belabor that anymore. So these are the things I think Paul is saying, this is the heartbeat. This is the heartbeat. But there are other things. I would say less, less common results of being spirit-filled. Especially in the book of Acts, we see, we see cases of, it's saying the Holy Spirit filled so-and-so, and then a couple of big things that would happen on multiple occasions. One, one was they would deliver dramatic evangelistic teachings about Jesus. You think of like Paul and John, or Peter and John, uh, traveling, getting beaten, going back into the cities, uh, preaching. It says the Spirit came on them and they spoke. They, del- they spoke powerfully about Jesus in ways that led people to repentance. Um, we see occasionally in Acts a couple of times that whenever the Holy Spirit would fill these, the, the early church believers, they would speak in tongues or other languages. We saw that last week at Pentecost. I don't speak your language, but the Spirit of God is actually letting the gospel message come forward in your language so that you can understand it. That's when we see. Sometimes it would say they were filled with the Spirit of God and they would see a vision. They'd see a vision and God would communicate some message to them through those means. Hear this. Um, the Door of Hope churches, both together, were charismatic churches. Um, if you didn't know that. We, we, are, uh, we don't see any reason why the Spirit of God could not do dramatic and amazing and flatly supernatural things in our midst. Um, so we see no good reason to try to out of the gate, limit what he would want to do. We say, we will take whatever you want for us, Spirit. We want it all. We want it all. Um, and perhaps we will. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. And, you know, hanging out with someone from the church. Maybe you're going to experience something dramatic. And if you do, come share it with us and encourage us with that story. But I don't want you to miss this. We're open to those things. We want those things to the extent that Jesus wants those things for us. But we have to acknowledge that the typical thing that the filling of the Spirit produces is love for God, love for neighbor, and Christ-likeness expressed in the fruits of the Spirit that we're going to talk about next week. And we could have the most incredible, crazy, miraculous stuff or fake the most crazy, amazing, miraculous stuff, and the Spirit of God could be fully departed from us. Only he can produce genuine Christ-likeness and love for God and for neighbor. You can't counterfeit that. You can't counterfeit that. Sometimes we hear about other dramatic encounters with the Spirit, things that, you know, aren't even recorded in Acts, things that sound really amazing and interesting, like, whoa, that is wild. Um, And like Pascal's, you know, let's go back to Pascal, his, his encounter with the fire of God that utterly changed his life. I don't know if I'm meant to experience that. If, I, if, I, if that's available to me, I want it. Jesus, I want it. I want it. I've never had that. I want that if it's available to me. But in all these things where we're like, I don't know, the scripture doesn't say that's one of the key things I ought to expect. We say, it's up to you, Lord. You're going to do what you want, and I want to be available to you. And in all these things, we are called to test the spirits, and to be discerning while acknowledging that our God can and do whatever amazing things he wants. Amen? I think that's the right posture. So there's the normal things, and then there's the uncommon, maybe the more miraculous, the more extreme manifestations of the filling of the Spirit. 
we say we're going to be discerning, and we're going to say we want all of it, Jesus, that you want for us. And then there's a third category, the normal, the uncommon, and then I would say the fabricated. And I've mentioned that already. But sometimes we hear about things attributed to the Spirit that, if we're honest, just don't have the ring of truth. You've probably heard some things like that. And I'm not God. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, um, either. But sometimes we hear things, hear Christians talk about doing strange things because of the filling of the Spirit. Things I would personally count as strange or like just kind of go, why, why, would the, why would God do that? Things like fainting, convulsions, people acting like they're like touched with electricity. Um, weirdest, some of the weirdest I've ever heard, people barking like dogs and howling like wolves under the influence of the Spirit. Many of these things to me, I could be wrong, seem to be either the result of, of acting. Cultures can get produced where it's like, oh, if you're really spirit-filled, you're going to be doing some wild stuff. And if you're not, you know, you're a little bit suspect. And so you go, I guess I'm going to start doing weird stuff. <laughs> you know? uh, so, so coercion, acting, pretense. Or worse, um, there are other spirits in the world. There are other spirits meant to do bizarre things and to distract uh, from the gospel. Um, I just know that our God is not a God of disorder and chaos. If the Holy Spirit points us to God the Father and to Jesus and says, conform yourself to him, some of the stuff you go, that's not what Jesus looks like. <laughs> that's not what Jesus looks like. So again, we have to be discerning. We have to be discerning. And in light of all this, I just want to take a second to offer a pastoral word of encouragement to some of you. Um, there's, there's a group that, that specifically is kind of on my heart and mind as I was thinking about this. Um, that's because I, I, I believe there are some of you in this room who really deeply love Jesus. You really deeply love Jesus, and you really deeply love your neighbors, and you love your, your brothers and sisters in this church, um, and you, you, you do the work of encouraging and scaffolding your neighbor's faith. Um, you humbly serve the people next to you. You worship God from your heart. Whether it's boisterously or quietly, from your heart, you are worshiping God. Um, you're living lives of thanksgiving and of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The fruit that the Spirit produces. We're going to talk more about that next week. You, who are these things, perhaps through some combination um, of misled theology and, and Christian catchphrases and gimmicks, <laughs> you've begun to think that the Spirit of God is not at work inside of you. What I want this to stir up in you is the eyes to see and to value the greatest supernatural work that the Spirit of God can do, which is Jesus seeking and saving sinners, bringing them to faith and repentance, and empowering them to live lives conformed to Jesus, expressed in our love for God and neighbor. Amen? Friends, if you are humbly serving 
our Lord and your brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God is producing that in you. And you're not missing the heartbeat of his work. I really want you to believe that. Um, That does not mean there might be more crazy things. There might be. We are, I hope you are open to that. And I hope one of your prayers consistently is, give me all that you'll have, Lord. But I want you to see, that's the fruit of the Spirit's genuine work. Don't miss it. Don't get discouraged. Don't fail to celebrate it when you see it in yourself or in your neighbor. Okay. This is Paul's clearest teaching on what it means to be Spirit-filled. He gives us the command, be filled with the Spirit, and he gives us the four results, or not the four, but four results to look for. You may be asking yourself, okay, so what do I actually do? Um, The command is to be filled. You might be thinking, okay, I want that. Maybe you're sitting here like, there is nothing in this world I want more than that. But what do I do? How do I actually obey a passive command to be filled if I can't fill myself? Paul doesn't tell us here. Maybe he assumes that it's very obvious to his readers. Maybe not. I don't know. But I I would take take a stab at it and say three things. First, um, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, and I hope you do, you want to obey this command, you need to nurture your hunger first precondition is just being hung- wanting it, being hungry for it. If all this is hitting your ears like, I don't care, you're not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I would wager. You have to desire it. You have to want it. And you know how you do that? By, by pursuing God, pursuing him, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and that you do, in fact, want more of his influence and power and movement in your life that you do actually want to be conformed to the image of Christ, that you do actually want maturity in the Christian life. And I think you, you build that by spending time with him and over time seeing there is nothing more beautiful. There is nowhere else for me to go. Spending time with him in his word and prayer, spending time amongst his people, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Second, um, elsewhere, and we'll, we'll talk more in detail about this later in the series, but um, the New Testament writers talk, mention the fact that we can, we can grieve the Spirit of God within us. He's in us. We can grieve Him. And another thing it says we can quench Him. And that sounds horrific. Quenching and grieving the Spirit, stifling His work, stamping Him down, And the main way we do that um, is through sin. Is through sin. Now, we're all sinful. I take it that we will all be sinful until uh, we are glorified and with Christ in the new creation. Um, But ongoing, unrepentant sin grieves the Spirit of God who lives in you, can quench his influence. So the answer is, is always simple. Confess and repent. Confess and repent. And that's primarily to God, but there is deep power in in confessing 
to your neighbor as well. Um, one of the great tragedies of the Christian life is that we are all afraid. I shouldn't say all of us, most of us. I am. We're afraid to confess our sin. When the very heartbeat of our faith is that we are sinners and we needed Jesus to die in our place to save us, there should be no surprise. There should be no shame. There should be no fear. There should be an absolute baseline understanding that, hey, we are all broken and messed up and we are just stumbling our way by the grace of God through this life. So we should confess and repent. In 1 John, it tells us, man, you confess your relational intimacy with the Lord is restored. You feel distant from him, you are one confession away from having every barrier removed. But tragically, we hide. We keep it at bay. We let it fester. Sin thrives in secret. It thrives in secret. That is one of the great ironic tragedies of the Christian life is that we should be openly confessing without shame because Jesus knows it, he's already forgiven it, and he has the power for it to help us overcome it. And we hide because we're afraid. So, I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. Confess and turn from your sin. Not too complex, but easier said than done, sadly. The third thing I would say, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Ask for it. Just ask for it. Ask the Spirit of God to fill you. Ask for all that he will give you of himself. Ask him to reveal where you're potentially stifling what he wants to do in your life. Confess, repent, ask again. Ask some more. I, I've been so compelled by this. I, I think this should become kind of part of our permanent liturgy here on Sundays. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, you know, every, every few months we've, we've kind of been like adding a little bit to kind of our, the normal things that we do every Sunday together. And I think this, asking for the Spirit of God to fill us every week together should just be part of that. Because why not? That's what we want. But that should, that should fill our community groups, that should fill our, our, our meals, our times one-on-one, -on -one, or our times alone, all of it. Jesus, Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. There you go. There's a command. There's the typical results. There are other results too. And then there's the pragmatics. How do you obey this passive command? I think, I think that's the answer. And what I want you to see is that this, being filled with the Spirit of God is the key to living out the Christian life. It's the key to living out all that Jesus has for us. Are you, do you feel defeated in your Christian life? Feel discouraged? Not about exterior circumstances, we're all, we've all got those things that are discouraging, but in, in, when you think about your discipleship to Jesus, your process of being formed into the image of Jesus, you feel discouraged, you feel discouraged. It could be because you're not letting him fill you. It could be because you're white-knuckling it, you're bootstrapping it on your own. And that's a recipe for misery and failure. The good news of this passage is that he wants to fill you. 
He wants to give you all that you need to live a life you couldn't imagine with him. On the flip side, maybe some of you feel complacent. You're like, I feel pretty good. Things are going well. We're good, solid, solid Christian, great disciple. Suspect that's very few of us, but maybe that's you. Same command comes to you. Be filled with the Spirit. Do not ever assume that you've got all that he has and all that he wants to do within you. Keep coming back. Keep asking. Keep clearing away the debris. Keep gathering the kindling. Keep raising the sail and see what he does. This is a gift of grace. This is one of the great blessings of the gospel. There is hope in the fact that this is a passive command because if it was, be, if it was fill yourself, there'd be a lot of effort and a lot of work in that, and it's not. This is something Jesus has secured for us when we could not secure it ourselves. So we come again and again, every day, every hour, every 10 minutes, every second if we need to, as we remember, we come to him in faith like children with open hands, utterly dependent, wanting and waiting to receive. Believers, if you're a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you, never to depart. Give him everything. Give him everything. Let's pray.